The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. We're looking at 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, and we're looking at just a few verses, verse 5 and then verses 9 and 10. And we'll come to those as we go. The overall question we're asking is, what are we supposed to be doing? And the answer flows out of the answer of another question, which is, who are we? Who are we really? And he answers that very specifically in verse 5 of chapter 2, 1 Peter 2, verse 5. He says, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is a great description of a Christian, but verse 4 is too. Verse 4 says, and coming to him as to a living stone. And uh, what that's referring to, that expression there, coming to him, is an expression that's used of worship. We come to God to worship him. The reason we gather together is to worship him. That's the primary purpose. And so drawing near is the opposite of what the Old Covenant teaches, which is keep your space, stay away from us. We actually have those kind of expressions used in the Old Testament that you have to keep your distance. And uh, yet he says here that we are to draw near as well as... uh, In Hebrews chapter 10, it talks about this. Drawing near in the book of Hebrews is always referring to approach him in worship. This changes our identity completely. Now we are living stones, which means that we are part of this temple that he's making out of people, not out of brick and mortar. And then we are a spiritual house under construction, which is talking about our corporate identity, our identity as a people. The temple of God was the place in the Old Testament, was a place where God dwells in this age, In the New Testament, it is the same thing, except in the Old Testament, they talked about the temple, which was holy, and the Shekinah. And the Shekinah was why it was holy. And the Shekinah is just a word, or Shekinah is the way the Hebrew refers to it. It is uh, the manifest presence of God. So this is what was so great about the temple in the Old Testament. It was the presence of God. And so the priesthood had to be a holy priesthood. Not only are we the temple, but we are also priests of this temple, We are a holy priesthood. Why has God given us this identity in this lofty position? Well, he says, he tells us why. It is to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This new priesthood uh, has new sacrifices, and we're told all about it in Philippians, Romans, and Hebrews. We're told about this new sacrifice that's been given, including our words of praise and adoration. And we are acceptable to God. This is an amazing revelation that the people of God are acceptable to God. He welcomes us with pleasure and he receives it with delight. Why is that? Well, it's because it's on the basis of Christ's work and our union with him. We are from him. We come to the Father from him. We worship him because of our identification with Jesus Christ. Now, in verses 9 and 10, you have the scriptural support and expansion of this truth that you are a spiritual house and a holy priesthood, and that God delights to receive your spiritual sacrifices. Don't miss the connection here. Both the word stone and the word people are emphasizing election. We were chosen just like select redwood. You choose a certain quality to build certain things. So each of these Old Testament passages mentions the people of God. And the emphasis about it is that God chose them, and he is honoring them because they're connected to Jesus Christ. The second thing is the nature of the church. We are called a people for God. We are his possession. 
And this is in verse 9. This reveals the primary nature of the church, not to serve itself and its own self-interests, but primarily to serve others, to belong to God. Peter says, we are a people for God's own possession. That is our unique distinction. We belong to God. We are his possession. Listen to this from Exodus. This is Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice, God speaking to Israel, and keep my covenant, then you shall be my possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So this was at the beginning of the old covenant that God was making them these promises. But we have come into a new phase of God's promises. We are a holy people because God has chosen us and we are uniquely united to him. So the living God came to claim Israel as a special possession. And this prefigured the claim on Christians in this new covenant era. He possesses us. And just like when the Holy Spirit was poured out, he came at Pentecost to make the church the new people of God. And what the distinction was, the thing that was distinct about them is they had the Holy Spirit working in them. And there's there's been so much disagreement over uh, the details of the Spirit's ministry to believers that sometimes people don't even pay attention to what the Bible actually says about it. It says that every single believer has the Holy Spirit because that's the mark of being a Christian, as you have the Spirit. It is what sets us apart for Christ. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 10 tell us specifically, it puts it this way, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to Christ, because the Spirit is the mark of a Christian. When the Spirit comes and ministers to us, we have these immeasurable and impressive exaltation. God exalts us. He exalts us not to brag on us, but rather to show us how much he loves us. We are God-possessed. And since God possessed us, has come to possess us, we are called holy. That's what holiness means. It means to be set apart to God. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was called a holy nation. God lives in these transformed sinners, and we are sanctified by his presence and distinguished from the world The church is absolutely a unique possession indwelt by God himself. We are indwelt by God and we belong to God. We are different than the old covenant people. The old covenant people were also God's people and they were chosen by him and they were given a holy priesthood, but we are the holy priesthood. So the role of the church is to fulfill this calling to be a royal priesthood. What is a royal priesthood for? Well, a priesthood takes what people want to offer to God and gives it to him. This God-possessed and God-separated are the God-accepted. What I mean by that is uh, those who possess God, that God possesses them, rather is a better way to put it, and he separates them for his own purposes. That means we are God-accepted, and therefore we are a royal priesthood, a kingly priesthood. The emphasis is our premier closeness to God as though we are his dear people. What has brought those who are as far off, brought them very near to the divine presence? What is it that has done that? Not our works or religious activity. This new Israel, if you want to call it that, this new people of God have been reconciled to him through the faith, through faith in the precious blood of Christ. That's what has brought us close. In the old covenant, you had things said like, do not come any closer, Exodus 3, 5. 
Remember, this is when Moses saw the burning bush and God warned him, don't come any closer. But in the new covenant, this is the way it is. Hebrews 10, 22, let us draw near. That is an expression that refers to worship. We draw near for worship, not religious grunting and groaning. It's an act of faith in Christ and his work. It's simply believing on him that he is adequate, that he has provided for us exactly what we need to have this intimate and close relationship with the living God. It's not because of powerful faith but powerful blood, that Jesus died for us. He gave his life for us. Imagine one man giving his life for this multitude of people. It's because of the worth of this person who is the Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15, it talks about, this is how he puts it. He says, sanctify Christ as Lord, set him apart as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. In other words, it isn't that they see some mark in you that somehow communicates to them that you have Christ, but they see your character changed. And as your character is changed, they need an explanation. And that explanation, when you start living like Christ, is that you want to tell them that the reason that you have been changed is because of what Christ has done in your life. And that's what Hebrews 3.15 is talking about. Sanctify Christ as Lord. Set him apart as Lord in your hearts, always being ready when people see it and want to know about it, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And so he doesn't want us to be braggadocious. He wants us to be clear and honest and straightforward. The reason that, that we have changed is because of Jesus Christ. Jesus guarantees that he will save us to the uttermost, which means not only to the very end, but also as deeply as salvation can go. He's going to save us, and that's what he did when we put faith in him. And this is one of the implications of being a royal priesthood, is this ongoing access to God. We have access to God now. Think of that, that we can draw near to God. This is what the book of Hebrews is all about. It's about our access to God free access to God as well as freedom of speech that we can speak freely to him because he is our father and he has accepted us completely because of our association with Jesus Christ. So this guarantees that his wrath is forever turned aside from those who believe in his son. This is one of the implications of being a royal priesthood. But we also have an ongoing access to God so that we can access God at any time so one of the things that doesn't matter what kind of structure is put up, you can approach God at any time. There's no way that anybody can keep you from coming near to the Father in prayer and asking him for his guidance and his help. We have this ongoing access to God. We're no longer a segregated priesthood. There isn't some priests who are this and some priests who are that, but rather all Christians are the priesthood, and they are all anointed by the Holy Spirit. They're all saved by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so that's what this is all about. This is our worship. We have worship rights because we are a priesthood. There's no back rows with God for any believer. We are all ministers as part of the one people of God. There's no place for passivity in worship. There is to be prayer and service. We serve God and we pray to him as manifestations of worshiping him. What he says in that passage in uh, the New Testament is, he says, but you are. This is what you are. He doesn't say this is what you will be someday, but this is what you are. We have closeness with God, not because we have completed some dramatic act, but because we have put our faith in Jesus Christ 
And all those who have rested their faith in Christ have been brought near to the Father, and they have free access to him, and freedom of speech, so that we can speak freely to him from our hearts. And we are participants of this new covenant, which was sealed in his blood. That's what we're told right here in this very chapter in verses 18 through 21, that we are part of the new covenant. And the new covenant is what Jesus has accomplished through his death on the cross and his resurrection. The task of the church is to proclaim his excellencies. But that word has something very significant. This statement shows the purpose or task of this chosen people that make up the church of Jesus Christ. This is why God chose and redeems us. It's his excellencies. He refers to his mighty deeds or his saving acts. Those things he does for us that are supernatural. He saved us. He took away our sins. He declared us to be righteous. This is why he called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Those are the excellencies that God has performed for us. And these are the things that we are to traffic in as worshipers of the living God. We are to give God thanks for these magnificent gifts and these saving acts, these mighty deeds that he has accomplished for us. There's going to be a head-on confrontation between the world and the deeds or the praises of God because uh, deeds is produced by the Holy Spirit as he works in our life. Our mouths are open and we praise God for the great works he has done for us. What we need to happen is for us to come to know what those deeds are, what those excellencies are, so that we can communicate them in our worship towards him. This is what worship ought to be. Now, what has changed has changed drastically from what we were formerly and what we are now. Then, we are told, for example, we were in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. But now, it says... Our deeds now that they have become the holy people of God, and he starts to describe them, and we'll see them as we go through this passage. There are more people are saved as their consciences are stirred by seeing the renewed lives of God's people. This is what what has always been found when this idea is tested, is that most people come to faith in Christ because of the excellencies that they see in the lives of Christians or followers of Jesus. They see the change that's taken place by the work of God. And and what does this imply for us? Well, you, you, you must not isolate yourself. The church is not a private club designed to keep people out. We can't take that kind of mindset or the mindset of the world. We have to see that all men are welcome to come to Christ and in faith put their trust in him. They were given eyes to see what they believe, which is Christ and his work for us. In Laodicea, the church in Laodicea, when it talks about in Revelation 3, it says they had a mindset of the world, and they didn't really believe the gospel could rescue from spiritual, moral, and emotional destruction. Those who receive it by faith find out that that's exactly what God does. He gives us these excellencies, and what our worship is to be is the calling back of these excellencies to God. Thank you for what you have done for me. The Apostle Paul prays in Colossians for these new believers. He says, I pray for you continually that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, where do you find his will? Well, you find it in the word of God. He tells us what his purpose is. He tells us what his motive is. He tells us what he is up to and why he is working in our lives. The Spirit is always working in us to declare the divine glory in the face of the world's darkness. 
what does the world have to say about things? Well, they don't have a whole lot of good things to say because of their eyes being closed. But we have had our eyes opened, and we can see the glory of God. And so our worship is to be characterized by the expression of the glory of God and his glorious good works for us, his glorious good benefits to us. Now, what is the raw material of the church? Does God only get perfect people? Well, no, actually, he uses people that would actually be excluded from any kind of internal group that was considered to be holy. But God can come into a group of people who have all kinds of weaknesses. One of the illustrations we have, a gripping illustration we have, of how God, in sheer grace, makes people who are no people at all, now they are the people of God. In the book of Hosea 1 and 2, he talks about a man who married a woman named Gomer. Now, that's bad enough, but she was a slave and she was a prostitute, and yet God chose her and he gave her a husband and he gave her righteousness and he began to work in her life and she began to show forth the the gratitude she had for the glorious gifts from the Father to her, which she did not deserve. And so what are we supposed to be doing today? Well, the nature of the church and the unique possession of God, his people, that he indwells, we are to call out our praise to him. This is what worship is. It's calling out our praise and adoration to God for the great benefits that he has given to us. As a people of God, we are elect or chosen. In other words, God wanted us. We are not unwanted. It wasn't just that we wandered in one day and we happened to find a a people that we'd kind of like to be around. But God chased us down, brought us in, and made us his people. We came out of a place where we were not a people and we had no mercy. Now, mercy is when you treat someone based upon their need rather than upon their worth and what they deserve. But the power of the gospel is that it promises what only God can do and it promises what he can do to anyone who believes and trusts in him. This is what we need to proclaim to the world. Romans 5.5 tells us we must proclaim these truths, that God has blessed us with unmerited blessings because of his love for us. He set his love upon us. Sometimes we have a problem with that because we can't figure out how we could ever come to love people that aren't our kind of people. But this is exactly what the Holy Spirit does in us. He opens our eyes to the very image of God in people that need Christ so desperately. And they have so many things that people could put down and condemn. And yet there is this great and glorious need for a Savior to bring them into the very presence of God to be a worshiper. They become a part of the priesthood. Our identity is that of God's own people. And our purpose in the world is to glorify him by declaring and demonstrating the gospel to other people. As we demonstrate the gospel to the people, which is to live consistently with it, what happens is they begin to see, it's like looking into a mirror and seeing the glory of Jesus Christ. You're either in Christ or you're not. There is no, or as Bob Dylan says, there ain't no neutral ground. You either trust him or you don't. And if a person comes to trust Jesus Christ as their savior, you come to belong to him, you become alive. And this new life that it causes you to come to love people the way you ought to love people. And that happens because of what God has done for you. And so what we are to demonstrate to the world is simply the effects of the good blessings of God on our lives. Not to brag about it, but rather for it to be demonstrated in the way that we live our lives in relationship to him. If you're not in Christ, now is the time to receive him because you will perish if you die without knowing him. 
The gospel is good news, which, if it's believed and acted upon, produces a whole new life of praise to everyone who trusts in him, no matter how corrupted, confused, and damaged you are. Samuel Azariah, an Anglican bishop in Dornacal, India, was involved in a great revival during World War II, and a great host of people came to faith in Christ. And he had a man in his church. Well, in fact, he this is what he came to do. He he would have everyone in the church to stand and to put their hands on their heads and then to repeat after him. And this is what he would say. I am a baptized Christian. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. They took this very seriously as their calling to be witnesses for God's glory. What God has done for you is so glorious and so overwhelming. Until you learn what it really is, it won't sound appealing to you, but it is an incredibly appealing thing that God has done the work he has done in every believer's life. He has declared you to be righteous. He has given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you a new nature. He's given you eternal life so that you might know him as the Son knows him. And so the blessings are great and glorious. And this is what we are supposed to do. We are people who carry this great baggage of the goodness of God and what he has done for us. And he wants us to explain it and to tell it and to proclaim it. And this is why we worship is because of who God is. We come to proclaim the truth about who he is because that is exactly what people need to know about him. They don't need to know that there are some people who work really hard to be accepted by him. They need to know that God has in his gospel this good news of salvation in Christ has offered salvation to us through his son. And all we have to do, the only thing that we are called to do is to believe on his son. It's as though Christ has all the righteousness you will ever need because that is very true. And what you must do is come to him and receive from him what only he can give you, which is his grace. And then to become a person who continually proclaims to the world the great benefit of this grace that has come into your life because of what God has done for you. And so we are called to bear witness to his grace and his goodness. And that's what we are to be doing. That is the role of the church of Jesus Christ. And so we are a high priest, which means we are a priesthood, a holy priesthood, which means that we proclaim the goodness of our Savior and what he has done for us. And we people need to know what he has done. If you have somebody who finally says to you, you know, I think I've heard enough, then you can say to them, well, then now you should receive him. And here's the way to receive him. You can receive him by simply putting your trust and faith in him. And God will save you and fill you with his great, great blessings. And you can live your life proclaiming the goodness of God to a world that desperately needs to hear it. That's what we have been called to do. And let me pray for you. Our Father, we thank you for this calling you put upon our life to proclaim to the world we live in how gracious and how good and how glorious you've been to us. We thank you for your blessings that are so rich and so wonderful. And we pray that you would teach us how to be real worshipers of the living God. We'd learn how to speak often of your great blessings in our life, Father. We pray for that and ask for it. We depend upon you to to give us that ability. We pray for it in Christ's name. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.